Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll make a rich woman beg. And I'll make a good woman steal. I'll make an old woman blush. All right, Billy Cunningham, the great American, now with the Bush funeral and the uh, rearview mirror and the drama of that, which was uh, quite exciting. Joining us now is uh, Major Garrett, who's the CBS News chief White House correspondent. Has a new book out called Mr. Trump's Wild Ride that thrills the chills, the screams, and occasional blackouts of an extraordinary presidency. And Major Garrett, welcome, I think, for the first time to the Bill Cunningham Show. Uh, Major, how are you? Great to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Let's go back to election night, uh, maybe a day or two before. On election day itself, uh, the Trump clan had come through. Of course, I'm headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a key state. So I had the Trump clan on on a regular basis. On Election Day itself, it was like 2.05. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was going to come on. It's Election Day. He comes on. About 2.02, he calls. And I pick up the hotline. We talk a little bit. And he says to me, you know, Bill, my dad could have won this. And I said, uh, what do you mean? He said, well, we didn't have Walker in Wisconsin, didn't have Kasich in Ohio, didn't have Bush in Florida. I just had a sense that we could have won this thing. About three or four hours later, I get a text from him saying that uh, it's worse than we thought. The exit polling is terrible. We're going to mm-hmm. lose Ohio by eight points, going to lose Florida by five. And I said, well, you know, just what can I say? Good luck. You ran a good race. By 930, I get a text that says, dog catches car. What do we do? Did you have a sense that the Bush family, I'm sorry, the Trump family, <laughs> not the Bush, Bush family's on my mind, but uh, right. the, the, the Trump family did not believe, including the president, they were going to win the election. They did not. They, they thought they had a chance. They thought that they had a puncher's chance, if you will. And I, I write in the book about election night and that exact process that they went through and that some of their Trump supporters in key states like Florida, I talk about Susie Wiles, who said, don't believe the exit polls. I think Florida is winnable. Don't give up. As a matter of fact, I talk in the book about how Don Jr. and Eric were deployed to get on every radio show they could in the Florida panhandle to try to tell Trump supporters, don't despair. Get out there. It's not over. And as the numbers started coming in from Florida, then North Carolina, and elsewhere, as the evening progressed, starting at about 930, things looked better and better internally. It wasn't obvious at the network level, although I recount in the book about 1020 that evening. I was one of the first, if not the first network reporter to say in Trump Tower, they are beginning to see this thing turning and see not one, not two, but maybe three paths to victory. So the one thing I say in the book about President Trump and candidate Trump is he has a very deep sense of gut instinct, and he thought he had a chance, and he didn't necessarily 
believe the exit poll numbers were the true reflection of what was going to happen as the numbers and turnout came through. Because he saw the crowds, and he has a very innate sense of what this movement is and how people responded to him. So did they predict it? No. Did I predict it? Not at all. But they thought they had some kind of a chance. But as I recount the book, just as you did, when those first exit poll numbers came in, there were some voices like, oh, boy, this thing's over. Well, it kind of it came back to me the other night. I'm watching what's happening in Macron's France. And when, when Macron was elected, 40 percent of the vote were communist and, and the other 40 percent were like Nazi types character. In other words, the, 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 the countryside was very unhappy. They had the left and the right wing was like 40 percent of the electorate. And I look back over the past 10 years. I contend the main reason that Barack Obama won was there was a sense he was an outsider. He beat Hillary. We wanted something different. And then I had a sense in 2016 that Trump is the ultimate outsider. We didn't want Jeb. We didn't want Hillary again. And when I see going on in France that middle-class Americans are like rebelling at $7 a gallon gasoline, and there was a rebellion against the status quo with the Bush and the Clintons back and forth, and that's why Obama was elected, and that's why Trump is going to be elected. And then in 2020, God knows what's going to happen. But can you tell me, Major Garrett, why do you think it happened? What was it on election week, election day of 2016 that caused it to happen when it was completely unpredicted by all the experts? (laughs) Well, what I say in the book is there are a couple of big issues. One, this idea of an outsider, the ultimate outsider, someone who really stood athwart politics, wasn't not just a Clinton or a Bush but someone who said, you know, I dealt with politicians on both right and left. I've written them both checks. I know how the system works, but I'm not of that. That gave Donald Trump a kind of credibility that literally nobody else could touch, in the sense that he was self-made, that's what his supporters believed, and that he could not be bought. I can't tell you how often, Bill, I heard that. And during the 2016 campaign, which I started covering in 2015, I attended more than 75 Trump rallies, and I talked to these people at every rally I went to to get their perspective, to learn what they had to say. That was a big part of it. Not only outsider, but couldn't be bought. I say in the book also that there was a sense in Washington that the entire conversation in our country about immigration was settled. Well, guess what? It wasn't. It wasn't settled. No. And Donald Trump had a very different message that most Republicans and Democrats in Washington, D.C. thought about and talked about immigration. And that, as resonant as anything else he said, touched a chord. And I write in the book, If you don't agree with Donald Trump's policies on immigration, you better understand that there are lots of Americans who do. And if you want a different set of policies, you better figure out a way to talk to those people and get them on your side. Because if you don't, we're either going to be at this immigration standstill or the policies that Donald Trump campaigned on and has done every single thing he said he would do to enforce are going to remain here. I think that was a big part of that 2016 conversation. Major Garrett, I'm in the Midwest. You travel the whole country, I guess, in the southeast. Southwest is a bigger issue. I don't see the Democratic Party over the next several weeks uh, capitulating and giving him his $5 billion for the wall because the base of the Democratic Party would, like, rebel. They don't want that. So I think this immigration issue is going to continue to be huge in 2020. Am I wrong? I think that's the best way to think about it. Until there is a, a, a dramatic shift and one Part of that is going to be resolved in the next couple of weeks, one way or the other, because we have to fund the government. No one's going to have a perpetual government shutdown over wall funding. 
but there's probably going to be a day or two or so, or maybe longer, and there's going to be some push and shove and then some give and take. And what's the dollar amount going to be? How is it defined for border security? All of that is subject to negotiation. But this issue is not going to go away. I totally agree with you. And the other thing in 2020, alongside immigration, and it was important in 2016, and I have an entire chapter devoted to it in the book, what happened to the Supreme Court because yeah. Donald Trump was elected president, what's happened to the federal bench because he is president, and the future of the Supreme Court, whether it's Donald Trump reelected or somebody else, also going to be an enormous part of the 2020 conversation. I'm like a normal God-fearing American, and the reason I voted for Trump wasn't the tweets. I don't support him now because of some of his uh, anger toward his political opponents. Three reasons. One is immigration. Two is the court system. And three is the economic uh, economic system in America, which I think, despite the market being in the crapper, is a positive with Trump there. And that's not going to change. And to me, as an attorney, you know, my wife's senior judge of the Ohio Court of Appeals, and I want a court system that reflects the values of people like myself. And I, I saw no hope of that happening. And Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, and you spent quite a bit of time on the ups and the downs. The whole Kavanaugh nomination, and like every day was like a month, wasn't it? Every day that went yeah, by for was. that week. That was a month. It sure, it, and, and there are times when other parts of the Trump White House feel that way or the Trump experience feel that way. I have an entire chapter called 10 Days in May. The first day of the 10 days <laughs> is when James Comey was fired. And then everything that transpired since and in the next nine days. And, Bill, I will tell you this. I've had White House correspondents who work right alongside me at the White House, whether networks or big newspapers, did the stories, covered all the stuff. They've come up to me and said, reading that chapter, Major, I forgot half of what happened. And I wrote about it. I covered it, and I forgot half about it. The pace and velocity of things under the Trump era are sort of dizzying. And that's one of the reasons, Bill, I must tell you, I wrote the book, to sort of have a place where everyone could go to find facts, journalism, everything is on the record in the book. No one has assailed anything in the book, not the White House, not anybody. And I'm proud of that because these times need something that you can rely on, that you can verify, and is self-verifiable. That's why there's no blind quotes in my book. Everyone's on the record for that reason. It's like drinking from a fire hose that uh, the Bush presidency, uh, at least uh, Bush 43, the, the first two or three years were unbelievable, but things evened out. Obama was no drama Obama. And right now, the dramatic events happening are like unbelievable, like like every few days. And God help us when Mueller issues a report later this month or in January. What the hell is going to come of that? I mean, and I think probably the Trumpster did commit some financial crime at some point in his life, owning thousand company. He's going to do something wrong at some point. But that's going to be a launching pad. For impeachment. And do, do you think this, let me ask you this, Major Garrett, do you think Trump's going to be impeached? I don't. Because you have to have, well, I mean, so, so that, that, what does that mean? Does that mean impeach and remove from office? No. Uh, it's, it's possible. Possible. I would put it at maybe 10 or 15%, no more than that, based on what we know now and the inclination of the incoming House Democratic majority, that they would go down that road, produce articles of impeachment, and vote on them. But if they were, there has to be a trial in the Senate, and the threshold is unreachable. It wouldn't happen, absent a kind of revelation that is so striking, so so absolutely gasp-inducing that the political system comes to a fundamentally different interpretation of the motives and means of this presidency than it has so far. That seems highly, highly unlikely to me. I do think that there's going to be very serious oversight from the Democrats. They're going to ask a lot of pesky questions. The president, I know in the process now, is trying to lawyer up 
the White House and the Council's office to get ready for that. There's going to be some, some battle royales about what the president's intentions were, what people who worked for him did or didn't do. And it's going to be hard in that environment, as the president said, the day after the election, to move a legislation forward. He said it's one or the other. Either you investigate me or we do deals. But we're not going to do both. Right. So that's sort of an operative dynamic as we look to 2019. Major Garrett, CBS News. Do you think the mainstream media has a liberal anti-Trump bias? That's a big question, Bill. I know Trump supporters obviously fundamentally believe that. I've never tried to do anything other than report the facts on President Trump. He and I have a very good relationship. I have a, decent, I have a good relationship, as, as good as possible, with a sitting White House. It's not like White Houses love White House correspondents. They don't. Obama's didn't. Bush W's didn't. Bill Clinton's didn't. But you try to stay with the facts, and you stay away from the sensationalism. Another reason I wrote the book. But certainly the president feels that. His supporters feel that. And there are times when this particular White House press corps is more emotional about and with the president than other White House press corps I've seen. You don't need to tell me that. You can see it on television. I've, re- I've tried to remind myself uh, that emotionalism is not part of the luxury I get to entertain in this job. Facts. Yeah. This work is hard enough as it is. You don't need and you ought not to complicate it with any kind of either bias, emotionalism, or any other reaction that's not journalistic. And that's what I've tried to do. Lastly, what, what was your interaction with Jim Acosta? Because many in the media, when Acosta did what he did two or three weeks ago, when he wouldn't give the microphone up, and then there was a little bit of a kerfuffle going on. And, and you kind of, I, I can't recall exactly how you were involved, but somehow you kind of, you took more of a middle approach. Looking back on that kerfuffle with uh, Jim Acosta and the microphone, did that put the media in a bad light in the eyes of the American people? It very well might have. Certainly. But the, but the, I, I would tell you right now, Bill, the White House over, overreacted pulling his credential and then saying it can, any White House can pull any White House correspondent's credential for any region. That's an absolutist position, not defensible legally. But I also think the CNN position was not consistent with any rational application of First Amendment rights. Their essential court pleading was any journalist can be on the White House anytime and do anything he or she wants. Well, that's not true either. So there was a kind of absolutism on both sides. I will say this on my behalf, Bill. When I ask questions, I never ask myself how good was my question. What I asked myself was <laughs> how newsmaking was the answer. And you have to be quiet to hear the newsmaking answer. I'll just leave it at that. Major Garrett, the name of the book is Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. I have it. I read about half of it last night getting ready for the interview. And it kind of goes day by day by day. And the events, you could take a day, the first 10 days in May, or take the Kavanaugh hearings and that week delay that uh, Senator Flake demanded to happen. And then what happened now after that, a lot of the stories have fallen apart. Uh, from the accusers, but nonetheless, it's a good read because it goes back in time, and each day is almost like a month, and each chapter is like a whole book because what's going on, it is so much, as a normal God-fearing American, I often feel inundated with information, and I support the president. I love the guy. I speak to him on occasion. Uh, I spend time with him, and I, I love this president personally, and personally, the president that I'm with is not the guy I see in the media, and that there's not a more personable, loving, easy get along. The Secret Service loves the guy. And I've told him, of course, it has no impact, that, that if you would be that person in public, 
you would be much better politically to that 50 percent that think there's something wrong with you. But we have a unique guy in the White House and it's not going to change. And the times I spend with him, I, I just feel good to be around him and he's a fun guy. But would you agree, Major Garrett, that Donald Trump, the person, is not the one on Twitter? True. But he understands that better than anybody. And he likes to live in both places. And he believes strategically it's the most important thing he can do or one of the most important things he can do to maintain that that aura, which is legitimate, of authenticity and that aura of being a combative, disruptive force in Washington. He knows it's not universally successful, but he believes it's more successful than not, and he's not going to change. Bruce Springsteen says Trump's going to get reelected. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking there's so many minefields out there between now and 2020. God knows what's going to happen the next uh, 23 months, because if the last uh, 20, uh, 22 months is an indicator, we're in for another wild ride. The book is by Major Garrett, CBS News Chief White House Correspondent, Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. Major Garrett, thanks for coming on the Bill Cunningham Show, and we'll do it again. Bill, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. God bless you. Let's continue with more. From the inside, the bowels of the White House, Major Garrett, Bill Cunningham, 700 WLW. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.